Welcome, everybody, to Attorneys Are Human 2, episode 26. We feature Barry Wolf. I'm Steve Wallace. We're joined by our co-host, Selena Music. We're both of the Wallace Law Group. Let's get right to it. We have a pleasure today. We have Barry Wolf, who is the Senior Managing Director of Investments at Marcus Milicep. He also is the Senior Director in Retail, as well as a Senior Director in uh, Net Properties. Hi, Great. Barry. Uh, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited. This is awesome. He's a podcast host of Wolf Bites, and today we're going to cross market this episode, and it will also be an episode of Wolf Bites. Absolutely. Exciting. We've never done that. So this episode is Attorneys Are Human too, and like myself, you are a, an attorney, but you actually discovered the, the magic of getting out of the business. And my first question to you is, when you were younger, what made you decide to become an attorney? I don't know. My, my dad was an attorney, so I know that probably had something to do with it, certainly, although he actually discouraged me from becoming an attorney. So maybe that's part of the reason I got out of it. Mm-hmm. So I, it probably was a lot of that. I was really, I was and still am close to him and saw what he did. And I don't know, I mean, 18, 20, coming out of college, what the heck do you want to do? And I just saw it as an opportunity. It's just something I you know, decided to go to law school and uh, become going down that path. And I don't regret it at all. As far as the moment or light bulb moment, why I decided to become one, I can't pinpoint. But I, you know, like I said, I'm glad I went to law school, I think. I'm uh, glad I got that <laughs> law degree and no regrets. Okay. So your dad was an attorney. So what type of attorney was he? He was commercial real estate. Um, and I actually worked to work with him at a law school, his law firm for about five years. Mm-hmm. and did commercial real estate reps. So I've been involved in retail really since law school, where we, I worked with as an attorney with a number of different restaurant chains, doing leasing work and acquisition work. I worked with some Kmart, uh, so that kind of dates me, Kmart and Walmart mm-hmm. developers, which going back in the mid 90s, mm-hmm. Kmart and Walmart were kind of neck and neck. They were yep. the two, you know, big box retailers, both crushing it, doing well. So that's- Yeah, my, my best friend's great. mom was a manager at, at Kmart uh, for most of my use. So I remember always going in there to visit her. And then my best friend, he worked at the Little Caesars when they combined uh, yeah. the Little Caesars and they got rid of that disgusting cafeteria that they used to have there. I didn't, so know, I just, I didn't know Kmart had all of this. Sorry? I said, I didn't even know Kmart had all of this. Yeah, Kmart was the Walmart before Walmart was Walmart. <laughs> or, yeah, you go back pre-Walmart, it was Kmart and Sears. And they were the dominant big retail players in the industry. And Walmart, Sam Walton came along and really changed that and evolved and obviously grew Walmart to what Walmart is today. And certainly, you know, reality just absolutely crushed Kmart and Sears. And along with a lot of other local retailers, that was a controversy with Walmart is what they did with a lot of local retail. Yep. They, they drove the prices down and, and pushed the mom and pop retailers out of business. Okay. So you obviously law is the family business. So what moment or, or what led you to transitioning from an attorney into commercial real estate. And the best quote that I say, because I'm always looking for opportunities to leave the business, and I'll give a quote from, from Al Pacino in Godfather 3. Every time I get out, they keep pulling me back in. But that's what happens to me. Oh, and to add to Stephen's question, what is more lucrative? I'll be honest with you. Real estate has been more lucrative 
Purdue. Um, than when I was practicing law, but I, it was a long time ago too. I've been doing what I've been doing the commercial real estate practice for almost 20 years now. Uh, I was in legal practice for eight years. I was in, you know, working with my dad's firm for five years and I ran the legal real estate department for Aaron's Inc. It was a publicly mm. traded company for a yep. couple of years and then transitioned into what I do now. I, I just was bored with it, to be honest with you. I did, again, a lot of leasing work and acquisition. It just felt like every deal was the same and it's just not what I personally wanted to do for the rest of my career. So decided to make a transition and a change and fortunately it's worked out well. Okay, so I just have a question because I'm pretty familiar with Aaron's leasing. So my question is, why, and it's that concept is called rent to own. So my, my question always was, why do people rent to own when it costs a lot more than just going ahead and buying it? That's a, that's a question. Yes, I don't get it. Yeah, we don't get it. <laughs> no, it's a different model, admittedly. And I, I again, I worked uh, there for a couple of years. I worked closely with the president of the company. And I, frankly, when I first interviewed, I asked him that question and I had concerns, you know, about is it, you know, detrimental or harmful to some people because they are paying more in reality. And the situation is reality, their customers are folks that can't go get credit at, at Best Buy or go get credit at Macy's or at Rooms to Go. So it really does serve a niche and a need. And it's folks that are lower to middle income. And again, just have, they're looking to get whether it's furniture, computers, big screen TVs, for whatever reason, they, that's what they want and they can't go get that credit at the, the national retail chain because you're right, it is, it is more expensive, but it's also not, they're not loan sharks. It's not to the point where it's that just obscene amount of money, but it, you know, it's just similar like, why do people, why would you, why do you people use credit cards? Because it'd be a whole lot cheaper for most people to pay cash. It's the mm -hmm. same sort of thing. It's just, yes, it's, because they're buying something they couldn't otherwise afford probably and they're paying interest and you know it's just a, you know, a lot of society has the need to, or desire to own something that they frankly can't afford why do people lease mercedes when instead of buying a honda when they could afford to buy a honda cash but they have to lease a mercedes mm -hmm. it's, it's a lot of the same sort of thing they, they want something they probably can't afford that's a great explanation that that makes sense and I, I grew up in upstate New York and we had those with those rent -a centers and Aaron's leasing. There were a whole bunch of them in upstate New York. Yeah. Just because it's a, obviously it's a more lower middle class type of area. Exactly. I actually sold several up in upstate New York and Albany and Rochester and mm -hmm. some other areas. That's my, okay. You started out in private practice. You went to in-house to a, a public company. And then yep. what was your first transition from going into the practice of law into the real estate brokerage area. We'd love to hear that. This was a jump. It's kind of one of those things that you just rip off the band-aid. Yep. There really was no transition. Mm -hmm. uh, I moved from Georgia where I was practicing, um, licensed in the state of Georgia. We moved to Florida. When we first came down here, frankly, I did interview at several different law firms. I was not licensed in Florida. I, I still have never taken the bar exam in Florida, so I'm not licensed in Florida. So I'm not a practicing lawyer at all. But I can still actually picture myself uh, the moment sitting in some interviews, like in a waiting room, waiting to interview with some different law firms and just seeing the people coming and going. And honestly, I had this knot in my stomach, like, mm. I don't want to do this. Uh, it's not what I want to do for the next 20, 30, 40 years of my life. And of course, my wife was supportive. We had to, you know, one young kid, another on the way, and it just moved and it just made the decision that 
I, I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. And frankly, my thought on real estate was to get into the development side. And mm-hmm. I saw brokerage as the stepping stone to doing that. And in reality, just never made that leap. Just got into brokerage and have been doing it for almost 20 years now. And you know, frankly, it'll probably do what I do for the rest of my career. Excellent. So did you work at, Mar- was Marcus and Millichap your first Marcus job? I've been at Marcus yeah, basically the entire time. So yeah, I've been at, at M&M since 2000, April 2001. Okay, that is very strong firm, very national firm. So could you tell us a little bit about the differences between a national commercial real estate firm and just myself opening up Steve ABC yeah. Commercial Realty, because I know there's a big difference between these Abs- Absolutely. Sometimes people ask me, like, why didn't I never just go open my own firm? And I built a good book of business, have a lot of relationships. I think one difference is somewhere what you see, I and mean, then you could, I'm sure you could be at a you know, big law firm, but there are positives to having your own practice. You're your own boss. You set your own hours. You do what you want to do. On the brokerage side, it is a little different and that by being with a national firm, I've got a platform with other brokers, the buyers they work with. So I really, I'm able to have a national practice. I close, I've closed deals in I think in 43 states across the country. Oh, wow. Most of my businesses outside of South Florida or certainly even outside of Florida. I've got deals now from California to New York to Texas to Oklahoma. So I'm just able to do work all over the country. And frankly, I don't have to worry about paying the rent or paying the, the insurance or on times like these, having to pay meet payroll for a large staff. So there's pros and cons to having your own business, whether that's a law firm or a brokerage business and, you know, or having a national practice. And I just, I gravitated to the national. It's worked really well for me. So I just said, I, I have no reason to ever reinvent the wheel. So I've never left. Excellent. I guess my my follow-up question to that is, we have a lot of listeners that are in residential real estate and a lot of folks come to Celine and I and they're like, oh, I want to transition into commercial because there's, it's so lucrative. So what advice would you have for somebody that's either new in the business or somebody that's making the transition from residential to commercial? Oh, and can you also tell us the downfall of just jumping into something like that? Because oftentimes... It sounds like such a sexy business and it's so much money. And now with all these shows, also million dollar listing and commercial, it, it's, it's, I've looked, I've watched those shows and said to myself, what am I doing? I need to do that. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> it's work. At the end of the day, it's work. It's a job in reality. And yeah, I, mean, I understand. Yeah, just like there was LA back in the day when I was in the business, first getting in, probably you, Steve, as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's LA Law, and everybody looked at that and it's like, man, that's so sexy, and it's this amazing job, and it's so exciting. And that's that's not what the law practice is in reality. And it's just the same as like million dollar listing or these sort of things. I'm sure, there are moments that are exciting, but at the end of the day, I'm spending hours talking to clients and reviewing emails, and it, it's grunt work for lack of a better way to say it as much as anything else so it's it's just a lot of hard work in reality it's not you know it's not exciting or glamorous it's just it's like you guys do it's hard work nose to the grindstone work hard and and represent your clients really well as far as the leap uh something i think for people to keep in mind just the time now when i always tell anybody that's getting into my business and probably the same with residential you probably need to have the resources financially and, and mentally and emotionally to probably go one to two years without making any money. I went almost a full 12 months without making a nickel. 
Uh, so I had to have that financial wherewithal of some money being saved to pay the bills, pay the mortgage or pay the rent, depending on where you're living, put food on the table. Uh, so that's one big challenge. And just I transitioned into from a legal practice where you get a paycheck every two weeks into a business that's 100% commission based. So not to mention, I had to go get my own health care insurance for the family, but also you don't know when you're going to get paid in any commission business. There's no paycheck every two weeks. So it's kind of the old adage, eat what you kill. So you've got mm-hmm. to have that mental and emotional mindset to weather that storm. And there's going to be periods like now or the two, the Great Recession where it's up and down and you got to be able to weather that and, and make it through those time periods. Excellent. So one other thing that's a big difference in commercial real estate versus residential real estate is uh, there's CoStar and there's LoopNet, but there's not really like a standard MLS per right. se for real estate. And especially my understanding, and please uh, correct me if I'm wrong, with a lot of the national firms, they have an exclusive right to sell. And oftentimes there are listings that you try to sell within your national brokerage firm. And I know CBREs and some of the other firms are similar to that. Could you elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah, and that actually is one of the reasons I've stayed with Marcus and Milicek, where we actually are very different is we have a very open platform. Every listing I have or every listing anybody in our company has is open to everybody within our company. Uh, So there is no such thing as exclusive private listing or anything like that. So we've got phenomenal inventory, phenomenal information because we openly share and you know share deals and share information. As far as you, know, you refer to the lack of an MLS, you're correct. There's no national MLS per se in the commercial sector. There are, as you say, there are websites like LoopNet that, frankly, I think was a lot better a couple of years ago mm-hmm. uh, before they were acquired by CoStar. Uh, that's a whole nother topic. So no, it just takes um, building up. One of the things I've done myself for my business that I've been focused on for, again, 20 years is building up a really extensive and deep pool of broker relationships. I've got an email database of tens of thousands of brokers I get my deals out to. I've got hundreds and thousands of brokers I talk to regularly with just so to make sure they're aware of my deals that I have listed. And the vast majority of deals I sell, I work with an outside broker. I co-broker probably 95% of the deals I sell. So I'm splitting fees 50-50. I don't play games with them. And that's one of the keys is I just have a totally level playing field with everybody. I talked with a client actually this morning and for a deal we're just marketing. He said he saw my email blast. And he said, what did that just go to your small buyer pool? I assume you kind of pocket list it for a little while before you go to the brokers. I'm like, absolutely not. I went to over 40,000 people. So I went to the brokers as well. Certainly. We get it out. I get my deals out to anybody and everybody. Day one, co-broker, split the fees. And that's just the way I market is how do I get the property sold for my clients at, at the highest price possible? And that's exposure. Okay. So the title of this episode is The Future of Retail. So one of the things that we really would like to know is certainly before the pandemic, there were ripples and there were changes in the industry. So I guess the, the first question we have, and Celine and I have a bunch of questions on this topic, is what trends are you seeing right now that have occurred as a result of the pandemic and, and specifically the retail industry? I keep hearing this thing called the internet. I don't, there's some company, <laughs> Amazon, I, th- I keep hearing about these guys. I don't know who they are. I, I gotta look them up. I don't, I'll have to figure that out some point. <laughs> um, 
no, e-commerce was growing you know, pre-pandemic. It was anywhere from about 8 to 12% in trending, where e-commerce and online sales, and that's Amazon, obviously. But also Walmart and Target in particular have been putting tremendous resources towards online uh, sales and online marketing, and they're doing a great job of it using their store as a last mile distribution or for you know, customer pickup. Uh, you know, what we're seeing during the pandemic are some new habits or folks that never did buy online are now buying online and realizing, holy cow, this is really easy. So we're going to see continued sales of online escalating. But that doesn't mean that retail, physical retail is dead. There's really... I've mentioned this even pre-COVID, and I will still say the same thing. I challenge anyone to find me a single company or operator, short of maybe like a little niche player somewhere out there in the universe that has been profitable and has survived more than a couple of months, certainly even a couple of years, with an online-only business model. It doesn't work. Don't you think that's where we're headed no, anyways? Not at all. Because you know, I was talking to my husband the other day, we, we drove by Publix, and we said, oh, we have to buy groceries. And we're like, we can just get everything on Amazon. And then we're like, why do we have all these Publix locations? They should just warehouse it and just deliver everything. And that's it. <laughs> I think we will yeah. see that, actually. I think we will see the drive throughs eventually at Publix or curbside pickup at, you know, the, the, the grocery stores here. But no, will it all go online? I don't, I, don't, I don't believe so at all. Even Amazon, first of all, they're rolling out grocery stores. Mm -hmm. uh, they obviously have Whole Foods. They just rolled out a new brand as well that very slowly getting to roll that out. Amazon is adding physical locations. Why are they doing that? They realize online only doesn't work. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not profitable. Amazon is also very unique. Most people don't realize the key to Amazon and the profitability for Amazon is Amazon Web Services. If, Am if AWS did not exist, and I give full credit of this to, to Amazon, I think they realize this. So they've got the cash cow that is Amazon Web Services that has supported and gotten Amazon to where it is today. So Amazon is a profitable company, but even they realize they need a physical presence. One of the reasons being you've got to have last mile. You've got to get it out to, the, to people. Your shipping returns are very expensive. So you really need to have it where people are either shipping from shorter distance or ideally they're picking it up themselves with BOPUS, which is buy online, pick up in store, curbside pickup. Amazon, Target and Walmart are doing a great job of being using their stores for last mile distribution. So again, there's really, I don't think there's a single example out there of an online only company that has been profitable. And I don't think that will, I don't think that's a, uh, a surprise. I don't think it's a coincidence. And I don't think it's going to change because of just the cost of online. The, again, the cost of shipping, and the cost of returns are through the roof. It's a very expensive proposition. So no, Amazon will continue to do great. Amazon will continue to grow. They're the 800 pound gorilla that Walmart and Target and Home Depot and Lowe's and others are focused on. But the rest of retail is not dead or going away. I don't believe at all. And Walmart just released their online service too, comparative to Prime service. Correct. So I feel like we're going to see a lot more of that with other companies as well. Because I'm of the mindset, I'm a total millennial. I'm like, I never want to pay for shipping. I'd rather pay for a membership and not pay for shipping. <laughs> hmm. no, and you're right. Amazon, Walmart just came out with Walmart Plus. Target will probably eventually come out with something similar. Mm -hmm. Amazon Prime has been 
a total, again, yeah, between AWS, Amazon Web Services, Amazon Prime, that's what supports Amazon, is that recurring income. So no, I, I agree with you. And more and more people are doing online. And it's the old adage, it takes you know about 30 days to create a habit. And we've been in lockdown, not lockdown per se, but we've been in, at home for six months now, give or take. So a lot of people, again, that were not ordering online have been ordering online and realizing how easy it is. So I think they'll go back to stores, but it's a new habit. So we're going to see more and more business going online and Walmart, Target, and the others realize that Costco, they've got to compete with it. But I don't think physical retail is going to disappear at all. In fact, I think a lot of people are just can't wait to get back to stores and get to physical shopping. There's a social component to that as well. What do you think? Because, you know, looking around what do you think of all these big stores now officially closing their doors and because they were unable to survive this covid state where everyone's staying home but we see stores like century 21 with which is a retail giant just going out of business and more and more and i i actually saw like i get all the emails about the mall nearby and there's so many stores that are just said going out of business. Yeah, the big boxes. Yeah. A lot of those you need to recognize, and I, I understand what you're saying, and I'm not going to sit here and argue we're not going to have store closures at all. We will. There's going to be more store closures. There's going to be more bankruptcies in the sector. We're not through this at all. But one thing to keep in mind is a lot of the retailers that have declared bankruptcy and have closed during this period were companies that were we're struggling going into this period. This was mm-hmm. the, la- the death nail is the nail in the coffin. Sears, all these companies that, again, have gone out, were dying already. They were going to die. And I think in some ways it's actually a positive is what we've done is we've taken probably five years worth of protracted death and hanging on there and just smushed it all together in about six to 12 months. And we're going to get rid of those players, which will mm-hmm. positively be more opportunity for market share for the survivors. The other thing, a lot of those companies were highly leveraged. Maybe they they were just not doing well going into this. They were owned by private equity firms that leveraged them to the hilt. So some of these that went out were either already dying or were too, too, had too much debt and they couldn't make it through a period like this. And that's what happened with, we, we talked about it earlier, Kmart and Sears, where basically it was a head that was in, in the restructuring of one of the, one of the numerous bankruptcies that they had. They basically turned it into a hedge fund, and that's ultimately right. what, what happened. So I have, I have two questions. My first sure. question is, I was a child of the 80s. My mom would load me and my best friend Bobby into the car. She'd drive us to Shopping Town Mall. She'd drop us off. She'd come back four or five hours later. So we'd go there, we'd get our pizza, we'd go to the arcade, we'd play video games, and then we'd go see a movie. So my question is, that's an experience that I have. Millennials don't, certainly don't have an experience like we have. Gen Z and my children, certainly, my kids hate them all. So uh-huh. do you think that ultimately the mall is dead? And I, my romantic 80s experience with the shopping malls, my children or grandchildren won't have. Oh, and to tack on to Stephen's question, do you think because of, of that and of what Stephen just explained, do you think this will be the return of mom and pop retail? I hope so. I hope so. I'd love to see that. I, mom and pops, it's a challenging time because mom and pops are, again, you're competing with Amazon, you're competing with Walmart, you're competing with Target, competing with Costco. I think that's going to ultimately depend upon what do we as a society 
think is important. And it's going to take an effort, frankly, for the mom and pops, a lot of them to survive. We're going to have to realize as a society the importance of them and how important they are to our economy and make the effort to go to those and support those mom and pop retailers instead of sitting on our couch and ordering it on our smartphone or on our computer because it's easier. If we as a collective society all just gravitate to whatever is easiest, and that means Amazon or Walmart or Target, then mom and pops are really in trouble. And I think that's going to be really devastating to our economy long term from an employment standpoint and certainly to our society. So I hope we all think that way and don't just gravitate to whatever is easier because then mom and pops are in trouble, I do think. As far as you're talking about the malls, it's interesting. My kids still love the mall. They haven't really, but I've, I don't know if you have boys or girls. That probably does make it. I have it one number. of each. I have one okay, of so each. I have two yeah. girls. They love yeah. to shop. I hate to shop. Me too. Uh, so they still do enjoy the mall. They haven't, frankly, been during COVID. I think class A malls will survive. I think class B and C malls are in trouble. Uh, a lot of them will not survive. I've seen data out there is projecting 30 plus percent of malls don't make it through the cycle. I, it's funny, like when I go to a mall and I, I try to avoid it as best I can, because again, I just, I, I hate shopping. Me too. I really hate shopping at malls. I just thought like the times recently, and by recent COVID, I haven't been in a mall since COVID, but over the last year or two, even if I'm walking through a really nice mall, like one, you've probably been to Boca Town Center down this way, mm -hmm. it's yep. a really nice mall. So yep. I would certainly call it a class A mall. It's one of the top Simon malls in the country. Yep. So even when I walk through there, I just find myself feeling like this is stale. This is boring. So I just, I don't see it. I think malls, I do believe class A malls like that will survive. But I think even they are going to need to change things around, revive somehow. I just find... And you grew up in upstate New York, so that probably had something to do with it. Shopping outside six months of the year is probably yeah. not a whole lot of fun. Right, right. But in the rest of the country, again, it's just it's boring to me. So to go walking through a stale environment with air con, I, I, I think a lot of people are going to look around and I just I don't like this. So I, I think they will survive, but there are there are challenges ahead for the sector. I do believe it's interesting because Simon keeps buying up these defunct retailers forever. 21. Right, that, that was actually my second question. My second question was, what are your thoughts on Brookfield and Simon purchasing JCPenney's? That's near and dear to my heart because my, my children's grandmother works at JCPenney's in, in, I'll say a C, but probably a D mall, Boynton Beach Mall. And we'll talk about that in a moment also. <laughs> I don't personally get it. I, I, again, it gets back to my opinion of the malls. And I, again, I think the type tier malls will survive. There will be a lot that don't. And I just, I mean, I, I, I kind of preface anything I say on the mall sector, particularly related to Simon. I, if I post something online or otherwise, I'll say the folks at Simon are certainly far smarter and more knowledgeable about the mall sector than I will ever be. Uh, they got more data than I'll ever have access to. That being said, I do look at it and feel like they're just getting deeper and deeper into the mall sector. And I do question it, frankly. Again, they know more than I do, but I, I got to admit, I'm skeptical when I look at them buying JC Penny, and again, it feels like they're just financially deeper and deeper into that sector that I wonder if survives. So I can't, I'm not real bullish on the moves they're making. Again, I'll preface that by saying they, they know more than I do. I think malls nowadays, it's, I think it should be more of not just, not a shopping experience, but an experience overall 
for example, like Aventura Mall. And again, I'm a millennial. I like to order stuff online. But I do go into Aventura Mall. They have a lot of restaurants. They have a little outdoor area with a yeah, lot of restaurants. I like restaurants. eating, so I, I would go there to eat. Yeah, Not right now, have, but I would. Yeah, they have Tesla in there. So if you want to check out the newest models of Teslas. And they have, what I've noticed is that they've taken a lot of empty spaces that used to be stores and turned them into experience. Like they had mm -hmm. the Nickelodeon slime experience. And then they had the Candy Topia experience. And that to me is actually really fun because I can take my nephews and I enjoy myself and I can also buy myself a nice shirt. <laughs> so they have the giant slide they build. So mm -hmm. I think malls should really go into that direction as opposed to just retail. I agree. That's what I was saying when I, when I walk around now, it's boring, it's stale to me. I mean, again, I'm not a shopper, uh, but I agree with you. I think if they need to freshen this up they need to add things it's not just strictly shopping and i i agree with you i think those will be the malls that survive that do add some experience going into covid we all talked about the malls that were thriving were the ones that you, you mentioned you love to eat i do too the ones that were doing well like again boca town center it's got they've added a ton of restaurants to the periphery of the mall and those will be the ones that do well, that kind of have that focus on dining and entertainment and experience. And it's ironic that COVID, we were all talking about experiential retail going into this, and that's what was surviving fitness and experiential retail. In this six months, that's what's gotten crushed is because you can't, we can't experience anything. We can't get out and mm -hmm. do anything. We can't, restaurants have been challenged. Uh, fitness has been really challenged. So that's been the really unique aspect all of, the, of all of this, but I do, believe that going forward, we will again be talking about experiential retail and dining and fitness. I'm optimistic over the long term, short term, there are going to be challenges. Okay, Celine and I are going to ask you one more business related sure. question, and then we'll get into a little pop culture. <laughs> and then our lightning round, then before we're done, we'd love to have you promote any listings that you have, or just speak on a couple interesting sure. projects that you're working on. Sure. Okay, Selena, do you have one more business-related question for Barry? Yeah, I, I actually want to know how COVID is impacting your work, uh, or is it at all? Because right. we see, I, I've spoken to some realtors that are friends of mine that I have one friend that says, I don't want to meet with clients or show anything because I'm scared of COVID. And then, and I'm in my head, I'm like, well, then you're not going to make any money. Right. <laughs> and then there's other people who, have just worked through this entire scenario. So I, I wanna know how that's affecting you per se in, in, in that way and, and communicating with people. We're doing a lot of what we're doing now. So a lot of, have had a lot of Zoom calls, the FaceTime calls, video calls, phone calls, just old fashioned phone calls, obviously. So I have not had, I'm trying to think, I don't think I've had a single face-to-face -face meeting since March, uh, since mid-March, I usually attend about a dozen conferences every year, going lots and lots of meetings, travel to meet clients. And normally I would have been on the road meeting clients probably a dozen times between the last six months, give or take. And there's been zero of that. So we've supplemented that number one, which is a lot of hard work. So, you know, talking to a lot of people, making a lot of phone calls, staying in touch with people, checking in how they're doing, their family's doing, showing a genuine and real concern for them. And you know, again, using the technology we have doing these sort of video calls, frankly. Um, activity level, I would say transaction volume 
will be down in 2020 compared to 2019, 2018. But not dead. I personally have sold or closed on 28 properties since wow. the COVID, or during the COVID period. That's and excellent. Got, yeah, no, I appreciate it. And got several others under contract scheduled to close. So we're just, we're continuing to stay very busy. It's been steady. But again, it, it'll be off. We won't close as many deals this year as we did the last couple of years. The industry is off as well. But it's not dead. I remember 2009 transaction volume compared to the prior year or two years was off about 90%. The market was just dead. I remember um, I was at Rudy McCloskey at the time and yeah. I was twiddling my thumbs. You right, know? so for a couple of years, the market was just dead. I, we're not experiencing that right now. I mean, it's off, but it's not dead, which is a positive. We're staying busy. One of the challenges, the debt market has, but it's opened up to a certain degree. March, second half of March into April, you couldn't finance a restaurant deal. No lender wanted to touch a restaurant deal. That's evolved, they're still being very careful. But there is for a lot of tenants or a lot of deals, there are there is financing out there. It's still not easy. So we're there's still 1031 exchanges getting done. So we're can, you know, I guess the short answer is we're staying very busy and active and continuing to you know, push through all of this. Okay, great. So you mentioned 28 deals. So my last question to you is, could you highlight uh, one of the more challenging deals that you worked on and how you persevered uh, to get that deal to closing during the COVID timeframe? Interesting. I love um, war stories. Yeah, no, it's interesting. Actually, I've got a, I'll, I'll bring up a recent one. We just closed last week at a medical marijuana deal. We closed the deal. We went to contract. The deal was terminated at the end of due diligence. Just some issues with construction timing and more timing issues. The buyer still liked the deal. We took it back to the market, but frankly, just stayed in touch with the buyer and their broker. And mm -hmm. just as things evolved in the deal, we were actually able to, after probably about a month, put the deal back under contract and move towards closing. So I've done that. We've also had a couple of deals. We got sold in this period that had been on the market previously with other brokers that were not able to get them sold. That's Excellent. always fun when somebody else can't get a deal sold, they come back to us. And so I've had several of those also that are always enjoyable. Okay. So here's my pop culture question for you. Selena and I ask you one pop culture question. I'm going we'll... here, I told you. Okay. So during the pandemic, what show or shows have you been binge watching? None. I don't binge watch anything. I, I really, I, I don't watch much TV at all. I'll probably watch an hour of TV a week. And it's usually like right before bed. If I just need to veg out, I pull up an episode of Seinfeld. Or, I don't know. Again, I'll hear. I, I love sitcoms. Goldberg, Goldberg's is my nine-year-old son and my favorite show. But yeah, I'll hear of uh, Netflix or Hulu stuff that's going on, and I, I don't know anything. I just, anything that's pop, I mean, you can ask my wife. If it's pop culture, I, I don't know about it. I just, I'm so out of, I'm so out of it that if it happens since 1980-something, as referring to the Goldbergs, then okay. uh, it's beyond me. <laughs> okay. okay, okay. Then here's my question. Who was your childhood celebrity crush and favorite band? Gosh, again, even back then I wasn't into pop culture. Celebrity crush, I don't know. I guess it was not when I was a kid. I guess it would still be Rachel from Friends. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So I'd say that who would still be a celebrity crush and what did you say? Oh, so music band. I'm not a big music guy, so I don't really i guess go back like the beatles maybe but that's okay. I mean, that was predated me as a kid i didn't grow up in the 60s but 
I'll still like I have Sirius XM, so if I'm not, oh, it's okay. To, I like so, no. I was gonna say Sirius XM is I, I keep it on the seventy. If I'm listening to music, if I'm not listening to a podcast or something, it's on the seventies channel because anything the eighties, nineties, oh thou two thousands. I don't know of it. It's okay. it's, it's off my radar screen. <laughs> well, Jennifer Aniston is very relevant. <laughs> She I wouldn't know she's doing now, but... She brought a tear to my eye in Office Space. That was an Academy Award performance. Oh, I love <laughs> I, her and... I've never and heard of that one, yeah. so... Well, I'm just saying, anything Jennifer watched... has done in the last 15 years, I don't know that either. Yeah. Well, you should watch <laughs> Horrible Bosses with Jennifer Aniston. That was a good... Life. I could see that. That was funny. Okay. So you caught a little bit. Okay, so now we're going to go into the lightning round, and I'll, okay. I'll take this one, Selena. It's this or that without thinking just one or the other. Okay. So it's like Poker truth or dare or no, not truth or dare, <laughs> just one or the other. Okay. First one is burger or tacos? Uh, taco. Coke or Diet Coke? Ne I haven't had a soda in probably ten years, so neither. Okay. Good. I've, I quit soda since January, and look what happened. We're awesome. in a global pandemic. Maybe I should go back to I'm iced to tea. my Diet Coke. Uh, I'll tell you, I'll do an iced tea or a beer. Okay. That counts. Okay. Excellent. <laughs> Okay, so next question is mountains or beach? Mountains. This or that? That. <laughs> and last <laughs> but not least, drum roll please. New York pizza or Chicago pizza? Oh, Chicago. No, Chicago. Hands down. Oh, okay. Not okay, a New Barry, York pizza guy. This, this Wait, was true. Steven, no. you have to add the main question. Michael Jordan or Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, sorry, sorry, sorry. Michael Jordan or LeBron James? I guess I got to go Jordan. I honestly, I've never seen LeBron play a game. It's just, again, anything that's like in the last 20 years, I don't know. I don't, if LeBron James walked up to me, I would not recognize him. See, I know see the, the name, thing, but. See, the key is when I'm wasting my time doing all this nonsense, Barry's out making money. That's, see, I need uh, to stop with my pop culture nonsense. I still, I want to watch him. I mean, speaking of Michael Jordan, I was not honestly a, a big Jordan fan. I nothing against him. I was, as a kid, Dr. J. I was okay. a big doc Dr. J, uh, Dominique Wilkins, mm -hmm. those guys. Jordan just never did it for me much, though. He was phenomenal. I hear, I can't remember the name of his show. The Last uh, Dance. Just, what's that? It's called The, the Last Dance. The show that Jordan, they just did on ESPN. I've heard yeah. that's fantastic. I yeah, you should watch that. it. It's on Netflix or ESPN. It's called The Last Dance. That's, that's right. How we, yeah, I've heard that's That's great. how we developed this question, because we started the podcast in June, and that's when when everything was hot and heavy with The Last Dance. Gotcha. I thought Thanks. it was because we were always arguing in the office. That too, that too, because I'm a LeBron James. I, I, I aired a LeBron James. Okay, Barry, thank you so cool. much for being our podcast. If you, you could let us know how we find you online, because you have a very uh, great online best way is on. Yeah, probably best way is on LinkedIn. I'm really active on there. Just look me up, Barry Wolf on LinkedIn. I'm on there a ton and um, happy to chat or talk with anybody. And then if you could just promote one or more of your current listings that you have, we'd love to, we'd love to see if some, one of our listeners can buy it. Yeah, I've got it. If you're can interested. we find your listings? Yeah, my website, wolfretailgroup.com, although we're reworking that. We've had some issues lately. Yeah, I've got several actually exciting medical marijuana deals. If that's an airspace you're interested in, I find it really interesting. I've got multiple medical marijuana deals and another one. We just brought to the market as a Highway 55, which is a burger chain mm. out of North Carolina. We're doing, have on the market their first freestanding location they've ever done. So that's an exciting one too. Excellent. Thank you so much, Barry. And we'd love to have you on again. You're a very interesting and informative <laughs> guest. And we are happy to, to cross promote our podcast for this episode with Wolf Bites. Thanks so much. I appreciate Hi. it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Attorneys Are Human Too. 
Please subscribe to this podcast in your favorite podcast host. Please also leave us a five-star review with your podcast provider. Hope you enjoyed this episode, and we look forward to seeing you next time.